quickly. Go with me to the book of Romans and the 15th chapter. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And uh, Pastor said you get out of here this evening at about 8.30, so I've got plenty of time for my message, right, Pastor, tonight? And, uh, boy, I see some people turning white out there, Pastor. Pastor didn't say that, all right, folks? I'm just teasing tonight. All right, Romans chapter 15, and uh, let's go down to verse number 30. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 30. And here we read where the Apostle Paul writes, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon our time tonight. Father, thank you for this uh, opportunity to be here this evening. Lord, bless us now as we look into your word. God, I pray that you would stir our hearts for your glory, stir our hearts uh, and give us a greater passion for the world and for worldwide evangelism. And Father, help us to fulfill the part that you're calling us to in this. And Lord, bless this evening. We ask and pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. As Paul is writing here in Romans chapter 15 and verse 30, he says, now I beseech. He is begging. He is pleading uh, with uh, the believers here that he's writing to. He is pleading for them. And notice the motivation of his pleading uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the spirit. So really, you could say for the for the glory of Jesus Christ. And for the love of the Spirit. Uh, The love of the Spirit, maybe Romans 5, where he speaks about that love of God that was shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit of God. That love of God that uh, should give us a desire uh, for the glory of God to be known. A desire for the... For, for lost souls to come to Christ, right? There should be a kind of a natural desire when we're born again, when we're saved, that we receive uh, to, to know his glory personally, but then to desire others to know the glory of Christ and the wonder of Christ, to see him worshipped as he is worthy uh, to be worshipped. There should be a natural desire within the heart of the believer for that. It shouldn't be something that we have to be taught. I mean, it should be taught as we grow in this understanding and as we grow in this, but it should be something that's naturally there. If it's not there, then we need to go back and check out our salvation, right? Because it should be there. And he's saying here, I'm, listen, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging you for the sake of the Lord Jesus and for the love of the Spirit. Now notice what he says, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now, ye strive together with, in the Greek language, a couple of thoughts about that word. It's actually one word. And, and what it speaks of here, first is in the way in which he's asking them to pray. It's, it, it, from this word is where we get our word to agonize. So he's speaking here for them to agonize in their prayers. It, it speaks of wrestling out these prayers. They're, they're struggling prayers. So they're not just a prayer that we just get a list and we just read down the list and go down the list as we read it and we're doing it mentally as we're checking off, pray for that, pray for that. He's asking us to invest ourselves in the prayer, to agonize in the prayer. When we're agonizing in prayer, it's an investment not only spiritually, but emotionally, even physically. Think of the Lord there in the garden when he prayed and the sweat drops of blood, right, that came to his forehead. Was he invested emotionally, spiritually, even physically in that prayer? So Paul is asking us to invest ourselves in these prayers for him. Who was Paul? Well, he was an apostle. He was a sent one. He was doing the work of a missionary as he traveled around. And he's saying there, I'm begging you for the sake of the Lord Jesus, for the love of the Spirit, that you would agonize with me in your prayers to God for me. Second thought about that word. 
It is a, it's a word that was used uh, in, in, in athletic competitions for, for team competitions. I want to read to you here a definition that is uh, given to this word. It was used in classical Greek as an athletic term describing the concerted action of a team of athletes in the Greek games. Now, you think about the Olympics that are taking place right now, and many of the Olympic competitions are, are single uh, contestant competitions, but many are team competitions. Some of the teams may be two on the team. I saw them playing badminton the other day. They had two on a team. I didn't know really that badminton was an Olympic competition, but it is. I thought, well, wow, I might have been able to do that one, you know, play badminton out there. But uh, uh, you might see in the, in the relay races in the swimming pool there, uh, they might have four in a relay. As you get out on the, on the track, they may have four in the relay. Uh, you might go to the basketball court and you have five on a team at one time. So these various team competitions, they are concerted efforts of that that team working together. Some have translated this Greek word uh, to, to speak of it in this way, that they share in the contest. So now think of it this way. From a Christian perspective and from what Paul is speaking out here, a missionary perspective, Paul is the sent one. He is the one that has been sent to go. God has sent him, God has called him, and he is going to these various parts of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he's telling the believers here in Rome, that as I am going, you are sharing in the contest with me as you pray to God for me. So his part on the team to go. Others, they had been called to stay in their areas, but they still had an impact. They still have a role in his ministry, in his calling, in reaching the world with the gospel. What is their role on the team? Their role was to pray. All right, we have missionaries. I went back and for the service this evening, I looked back at your board, your, your missionary board, as you have missionaries all across the world. All right, those are missionaries that you as a church uh, felt led of the Lord to support. Uh, you felt led of the Lord that these men and women were qualified, that you sensed a calling in their life, and you are having a part in sending them to go, and a financial part in supporting their ministries. And that's a biblical thing to do. But it should be also that not only financially we're supporting them by sending them, but we're also supporting them in our prayers to God for them. And I think we could make the argument tonight that while your financial gifts to them are important, your prayers to God for them are more important. That while your financial gifts that you give unto them equip them and enable them to go, that your prayers to God for them in a greater way empower them to be there. So your prayers to God are not just important, but we could say this evening your prayer, prayers to God for them are essential. Now, I have a quote here in my notes, and I'll read it to you here uh, because it's a quote that it, it convicts me. But the writer writes this, almost everyone believes that prayer is important. But there is a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing it is essential. Essential means there are things that will not happen without prayer. All right. Prayer is important. Everyone in the church I pastored in Raymore, Missouri, and we had some great folks in the church, uh, and, and I praise God for them. Everyone would agree that prayer was important. But how many truly believed that prayer was essential? I mean, we'd have prayer meetings on Wednesday night. We had a men's prayer meeting on, on Monday nights. We'd have other uh, maybe special times of prayer. And it seemed to be the hardest thing to do was to get people to come and pray. 
I mean, you have a Bible lesson or you have preaching or whatever. Yeah, you could get folks come. They'd want to listen. But when you did something specifically about prayer, it got hard to get people to come to pray. Now, it shouldn't be that way, should it? I mean, the Lord said that his house should be called a house of what? House of prayer. I mean, that should be something that's emphasized and something that's practiced in the local church, wouldn't you say? The body corporately crying out to God and praying. It should be something that's practiced in our churches. And you see, the prayers that we pray, they're not just important, they're essential. And like the author has stated here, essential means that things are not going to happen unless we pray. We'll carry that over to to missions. There are things that are not going to happen on the mission field over there unless we are praying right here from Cheriton, Iowa. There are things that are not going to happen. There are souls that are not going to be reached. Uh, There are uh, buildings that are not going to be built. There are servants that are not going to be trained. There's just the, the power of the ministry is not going to be known as well there unless we are praying here. So you see, it's a team effort. No one's more important than anyone else. Everyone has their role on the team. Are we fulfilling our role? Think about Exodus 17 for a moment. Exodus 17, where do you remember the passage there where uh, uh, Moses is there, Joshua is there, uh, these other bad guys called the Amalekites are there, right? And Joshua's role, Joshua was sent to go where? He was sent to go down in the valley with some of the other uh, Jewish shoulders and to do battle there with the Amalekites. So he goes down below. He's fighting. He's the commander in chief, so to speak, of the army. They're going to battle down below. Where was Moses? Moses up on the hill. While Moses is up on the hill, his hands are lifted up, right? What does that picture? It pictures prayer. It pictures dependence upon God. God, we need you. God, we lift up our our hands in praise to you. Lord God, if you don't work here, nothing's going to happen. We're going to lose. So his hands are lifted up. Joshua's winning the battle down below. But as he gets tired and his hands come down, what what happens to Joshua down below? Starts to lose the battle, right? And then you remember the story. Aaron and her come in and they help to prop up the hands of Moses and to keep them lifted up until the, until the war is won down below. It's secured and won by Joshua. Well, let me ask you this question. Where was really the battle therefore won? Where was it won? You say, well, Joshua, I mean, man, he was holding the, he was holding the, the sword. They were doing the battle. That's where the battle was won. Yeah, but really, where was the battle won? was really one up on the hill, wasn't it? And I'm just saying, as we send our missionaries and they're going to these various places into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, really, where is the battle going to be won? They're going to the front lines. They're doing what Joshua did. They're going to the hand-to-hand combat places and willing to do it. And most missionaries gladfully, joyfully uh, receive this calling of God and are glad to go where God has called them to go. And they go to the front lines But really, where is the battle going to be won? It's going to be in local churches like this that are striving together with them in their prayers to God for them. Now, let me just give you a couple of thoughts this evening of of how we can pray for our missionaries. All right. And I'm going to first start with the practical side, just some practical thoughts of how you can pray for your missionary. And we're going to begin, number one, under practically, that we can pray for our missionary practically concerning... Concerning what? Well, concerning culture. Culture. 
You say, well, what, what's culture and, and what does culture have to do? Well, uh, I'll tell you this, that uh, even in a state like Missouri, we have various cultures. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, but, but you know what? You can even contrast it more greatly. If you go out to a state like California, boy, you can find a lot of different little culture groups within the state of California. But you cross uh, lines, you cross uh, oceans, and you go to other, other countries, and you find places where their, their thinking is, has no Judeo-Christian emphasis whatsoever, just a completely different way of doing things. Well, for that missionary, when he goes there, it's a little bit important that he understands how they think and why they think the way they think, that he can better relate the Word of God to them. Now, he doesn't have to understand perfectly everything about culture, but I'm just saying it is important that he understands somewhat of how they think and why they think the way they think. And the more he understands the culture, the better he is enabled to relate the Word of God to them in that culture. Take, for example, Acts 17. There we find Paul. Paul has gone to a place called Mars Hill. And he brings that wonderful message there in Acts 17 on Mars Hill. And as he preaches this message, do you remember that he quotes from their poets? What is Paul doing when he's quoting from their poets? He's showing them, first off, that he's tried to study and understand their culture, but he's also trying to relate the Word of God through their way of thinking. He's trying to get God to them and the gospel to them so that they may more greatly understand that gospel. And I'm just saying, we lived that in those 19 years there in Lithuania, we were still learning culture. We were still learning why they think the way they think. And the more I learned about them, the better enabled I felt to share the Word of God with them. But not just understanding the culture from the sense of relating the Word of God, but also learning the culture so that I don't offend them in ways that are not important. For example, we'll talk about this in just a moment, but the gospel is going to offend the culture. But silly ways to offend the culture, I don't want to do them so that it hinders them from hearing the word of God. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, for example, in Ukraine, if I put my hand in my pocket like I just did or hands in my pocket like this when I'm speaking, that will be very offensive to them. That kind of demeans them that are you're showing disrespect to them by putting their hands in the pocket like this. And they're not going to hear anything else you have to say. I felt myself last week as, you know, I've been here in America and on deputation and, and then going back over there and during, well, I'd be preaching and I'd, I felt my, my hands wanting to go into my pocket and I said, no, can't do that. And I just slide my hand on the outside because I know it will offend them. If I'm sitting up on a platform in a church and I cross my legs and I was to show them the sole of my shoe like this, it would, it would be like to give them the middle finger here in America. So, so it's important that you understand some of the culture so that you just don't offend them in needless ways so that you can more greatly minister to them the word of God. So we can pray for our missionaries, number one, practically concerning culture. Number two, we can pray for our missionaries concerning language. Language. That is that the missionary will more greatly learn that language and communicate in that language for the glory of Christ, because he's taking the word of God and he's communicating these truths. Has anyone in here have you ever tried to communicate the gospel or communicate truths of the gospel uh, through uh, a second language? I mean, it can be difficult, right? But yet it's so important that it's been done. And I don't care if the missionary has been there for eight or ten years. He still 
learning language. He's still learning idioms and, and what different things mean. For example, if you say pie in the sky, well, that's just pie in the sky. Well, we all know what that means. That's an idiom. But if I was to use that over in Ukraine, the translator would look at me. What do you mean? There's pies in the sky? Right? How, how does that, what do you mean? So you're still learning language and different ways to communicate through that language. We have a friend, Julie and I do, who ministered for many years in Japan. And the very first message he ever preached in Japanese was a message on sin. And he had written the whole message out. He had had his translator go through the whole message, proof it, make sure the grammatics were correct in it. And then he got up on that Sunday night. Basically, he was going to read the message. I mean, there's no way he can mess this up, right? So he gets up there that night. He, he reads the entire message on a Sunday evening, uh, why they needed to turn away from sin and follow Christ, how it glorifies God to leave your sin behind and follow Christ. So come on, everybody. Let's make a decision tonight. Let's leave that sin that God is convicting us about, and let's follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, when he got done with his message, he had one guy that came forward. And afterwards, he went to his interpreter, translator, and he said, look, I felt like there was maybe something I was missing a little bit tonight. Uh, he said, do you have, any, you have any hints for me, any clues? And the, guys, the Japanese guy said, well, the word in Japanese for sin and the word in Japanese for wife are very close. And you were using the word for wife. And I've, I've actually heard the words, and they are very close. It's really just the accent on the, on the word. The, you can say it phonetically. It almost sounds exactly the same. But if you don't emphasize the first or last part of the word, it can completely change the meaning of the word. So he was telling them that night as he preached that you need to turn away from your wives and follow Christ. That this will glorify God when you leave your wives behind and when you follow Christ. So come on, everybody. Let's leave our wives and let's follow Christ. Now, guys, this is a hint. It's not an opportunity to say amen right now. Okay, that'll get you in trouble. But it does make you wonder about the one guy that came forward that night, right? He was probably thinking, wow, I've got the religion here for me, right? This is it. I can, I can lose the woman and have God all at the same time. This is wonderful. So language is, is very, very important. Let's give you a third thought of how you can pray practically for your missionary. What about concerning uh, the family? The family. And I want to begin this evening on the family speaking about the wife. The the marriage comes under, I think, a lot of pressure under the call to go to the mission field. And I think it can be hardest on the wife of all. Uh, there's a there's a stress as you begin to travel on deputation. And boy, today uh, that's been spread out. Uh, deputation's a lot longer than it used to be back in the 90s. Uh, and that can be on the home and so forth, just a, a great struggle. But even once you get to the mission field, and here's this, 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 uh, this wife, this woman, and, and she, God has called, and they are going, and she's willfully going, but as she gets over there, she wants to try to keep her home at the same level that she had it back in America. Well, guess what she's not going to be able to do? She's not going to be able to do that. I mean, you just, you're not going to be able to buy the products in the store. Uh, you're, it's just not set up to operate that way in most places of the world. For example, when we went to Lithuania, you'd go to the grocery store, you couldn't get peanut butter. Uh, you couldn't get any kind of cake mixes. You couldn't get brown sugar or baking powder. You couldn't buy pancake mix or syrup. I mean, you couldn't get chocolate chips. Lord, are you sure 
that this is where you wanted me to be? Because there are no chocolate chips right now in the store, Lord. You know, and, and so these things are going on. So this this wife now, here she is. She she's trying to to keep things going. She wants to make these things for her family, uh, but she can't either buy the products, or if she has to do it, she tries to do it by scratch. It just puts a lot more work. I remember where we were there in uh, in Lithuania. Uh, we we bought a washing machine and a, and a dryer. But that washing machine, how big was it, babe? Do you remember how big it was? Three jeans. Three jeans would fill the load. Well, we had three little boys, so let me just tell you, we had more than three jeans on every every day that <laughs> needed to be washed. So, just I'm just saying, it took a long time to do laundry. You didn't have this big thing where you, you know, threw all the clothes in there and you got it done in one shot. Just a lot of time. And then usually these wives are also uh, they they're they're doing a lot of homeschooling. So they're very busy in the home. Well, what can happen in the home is all this is taking place. Usually the husband, you know, he's out doing ministry things. He's studying language. He's doing different things. And the wife, it can happen. It didn't happen in our home like this, but we saw it happen in another home where the wife doesn't learn the language. So now all of a sudden she's kind of secluded there to her husband and to her children. And all of a sudden, that can have some very negative effects in the family. I'm just saying, and especially you ladies, you can have a ministry to your missionary wives. Uh, You can pray for them. You know what? In the 21st century in which we're living, with all the different means of communication through messenger or emails or Skype or whatever, what would be wrong with sending that wife an email? And just saying, look, we're from Grace Baptist Church. Just want to let you know we're praying for you. Is there any specific ways in which we can pray for you? And let her share with you those requests. Uh, It's going to be an encouragement for her to know that you're praying for her. And you might even ask sometime, is there anything there that you can't get? You know, for Julie and I, uh, there in when we were in Vilnius, Lithuania, uh, you couldn't buy any chili uh, mix, chili powder. Uh, How many of you, the seasoning for chili, how many of you like chili? You like chili. If you're not American, you won't raise your hand. All right. All right. I'll know that you're a spy in here tonight if you don't raise your hand. But, yeah, we, we love chili, don't we? Well, you could get everything else to make chili, but you couldn't buy the seasonings. Well, how hard would it be to take some of those little packets of seasoning and put four or five of those in, a, in an envelope or a little packet and send them on over? It'll be such a blessing to that missionary. And I'm just saying, ladies, you can especially have a ministry to these ladies and they need your prayers. Uh, considering the family, what about the children? Be very difficult on the children. Our children were all born in the United States of America, and they were American citizens, but they spent a majority of their lives over here in Lithuania. They're growing up over here in Lithuania. They're involved with culture there, doing different things, but yet they're never completely received as one of their own because, well, they're Americans. Then you bring them home. We brought them home to to go to a Christian school down in Kansas City, a good school that was there. We wanted to kind of get them a little bit Americanized in the culture here and around some other uh, other children here in a good church. And so we brought them down here, put them in that school. And you know what? They never really quite fit in fully because there were things of the culture here that they didn't understand. I remember our middle son, the teacher said, will you take out your spiral notebook? They didn't have spiral notebooks in Lithuania. He didn't even know what she was talking about. Didn't understand what that was. And the children kind of laugh and the teacher kind of laughs. But for a little boy, that's just kind of hard because I'm not on that same level. And I'm just saying I've seen where, where the children have a difficult time transitioning. It's like they're almost a third culture group. 
And so they can really use your prayers, the family. All right, so those are some thoughts of how you can pray practically. We're going to look at one passage of how you can pray biblically. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. We'll be done in just a moment. 2 Thessalonians, and I'm going to give you two thoughts. Boy, I've got a lot more here that I could share, so I'm taking it back tonight so we can get done here. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, only passage we're going to look at, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to give you two thoughts of how you can pray biblically for your missionary. Now, Paul has other places where he, he asked them to pray for him, and it's a fascinating story study. But look with me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He writes here, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Look what Paul here is stating. He's asking for the prayers of God's people that they would pray for him, those in Thessalonica, that the word of the Lord may have what? Free course. That, that the, the word of the Lord may have the freedom to go forth, that it, it wouldn't be hindered as it goes forth, but that it would be free to go forth and be glorified even as it is with you. That, that that gospel that has been glorified in your heart by faith, you have this understanding of the gospel, you have received Christ, you can worship Christ, it's been glorified in you, that that same gospel that's been glorified in you, that it will be glorified in these other parts of the world where Paul is going and taking the gospel. Listen, these, these places in the world where your missionaries are, where they're taking the gospel, most of them are very dark places. Do you know still to this day, as negative as things have turned here in America and as, as, as we have turned away as a nation from God and from the Judeo-Christian uh, values and ethics and so forth that we were founded on as a nation, we're turning away from those. But as bad as things are in America, still per capita, there are more gospel-preaching churches here, I would say, than probably any place else in the world. And so you go into these other places, parts of the world, there are areas and parts of the world where the gospel has has never been there or it's just been there, but just minutely been there. But it's difficult to find places, for example, in Eastern Europe where they've ever had any kind of a revival or awakening ever in the history of that country. And so what I'm what I'm sharing with you, when you come in there with the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is an enemy There is this person called Satan, and he is called the God of this world, and he has blinded their eyes to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is working fervently at this work. He's not just going to surrender when the American missionary or when the missionary shows up and say, well, the missionary's here, I guess I'm just going to surrender and go away. He is going to fight. And what I'm saying this evening is, your missionaries absolutely must have your prayers for the power of the gospel, for, for that gospel to be glorified in these countries. Listen, if God is not working and God is not calling and God is not convicting and God is not empowering the word of God as it goes forth, nothing's going to happen. You might have great illustrations. Uh, you might have different promotions and different things that you're, you're doing. But listen, my friend, if God is not working, no one's getting saved. You might even have the Word of God that, that you're giving out there. But if the Holy Spirit of God's not blessing the Word of God as it goes out, Paul said, I didn't come in Word only, but in the power of the Spirit, right? God must be working. How many of us here this evening could raise our hand? You don't, don't have to do this, but just say, Amen. I'm so thankful to God that the gospel of Jesus Christ has been glorified in me. 
that God brought you that gospel, that God illuminated your heart and mind to the truth of that gospel, that you have received Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying, pray for me. That just as you know that gospel, that these that I am proclaiming the truth of the gospel to, that they will know this gospel. Folks, I just can't emphasize enough the need and importance of your prayers in this issue. But your prayers can make a difference. And then secondly, look in the second verse there, first, or Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, as he continues. He says, and, this is the second part of re- his request, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. He's saying, pray here for me for protection. Pray for me because as I take this gospel out, this gospel of Jesus Christ, it's confronting the culture. And it's calling them to what? To repentance. And what is that gospel of Jesus Christ doing? Well, it's telling that that country, let's take Lithuania, for example, which was a very Catholic country. Uh, they, they worshipped Mary, just, uh, just I was told Mary is our Lord. I mean, I had all different kinds. This is the land of Mary, all different kinds of things that you would hear. So you're coming and you're telling them, look, Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. You must repent of thinking that you can earn your way to God by some religion or through some other person. It's not Mary. It's only Christ. You must turn to Christ and believe that he died for you on that cross. That through his sacrifice alone you can be saved and trust and call upon his name. say, well, listen, if what you're saying is true, that salvation is only through Jesus Christ and not through the Catholic Church and not through Mary, then what you're telling me is that my mother and father were wrong and are in hell today, that my grandma and grandmother, uh, grandfather and grandmother are in hell today, and I mean going back generations. So does that make you very popular when you bring that message? I mean, we look at Paul in the book of Acts. Was Paul very popular? I mean, when he went to these areas, was he received, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Thank you so much for bringing us the truth. Or was he stoned? Was he whipped? Was he beaten? Was he thrown in prison? But Paul kept going forward with the gospel, and it seemed like always God would would give him a remnant, would give him a group that would believe. And that's why Paul continued to go. Well, your missionaries, the world is not becoming a friendlier place. The world's getting more and more difficult. And especially for your missionaries out there that have taken this gospel. Not all men have the faith. We should be praying for our missionaries that God would keep them and protect them that God would bless and use them in these countries for the glory of his name. Our prayers to God for them are not just important. Our prayers to God for them are essential. And essential means that these things are not going to take place unless we're praying. I was reading a book by a lady by the name of Rosalind Goforth. She wrote a wonderful biography or book on her husband, Jonathan Goforth, called Goforth of China. They served in missionaries as missionaries to China, late 1800s into the early 1900s, the Boxer Rebellion, and then even afterwards they went back. But she shares in the book about a missionary from America who was called out of his church to go to a, an island somewhere far off. I don't remember exactly where the island was. And uh, the church told, told this missionary, said, you go, we'll hold the ropes for you in prayer. So he took his wife, his two little girls, two daughters, and they went off to this island. 
And he got down there and he began to work. He began to labor. Uh, he began to try to share the gospel. They, they just couldn't understand it. They'd never heard anything like this before. He hadn't seen anybody saved yet uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's growing somewhat discouraged because they're not hearing, they're not listening, they're not receiving. During this time, his two daughters are going to get sick on the island and they're going to die. Both daughters will die. Then his wife is going to get sick and she will die as well. And he comes back to America and he's just defeated. And he's just wondering, well, where is God? Uh, where, where was God's presence? God, where were you? Why didn't you bless? Why did all these things happen? It happened to be on a Wednesday night that he got back to the States. And uh, it was a Wednesday night. Service had already started. He walked in. He sat in the back. They didn't even realize that he was there. And that night they went through prayer requests and they went through their entire service. Guess who they never mentioned that night in prayer? They didn't mention the missionary. And at the end of the service, she writes that he came before the church. And this is what he shared. He said, you know, I wondered while I was there, where was God? Where was the hand of God? Where was the, the blessing of God? But he says, but tonight... I have my answer. It's because you failed to keep your promise to hold the ropes for us in prayer. And I'm just sharing tonight that more than our financial obligation to the missionaries that God so leads us to support as a local church is we have a a greater obligation, if you will, and that is to support them in prayer, to strive together with them in our prayers to God for them. Do we doing it for the missionary? No, not for the benefit of the missionary, but for what? for the glory of Jesus Christ, for the love of the Spirit. So we are having a part in worldwide missions. We are on the missions team. Our call, God has called us to stay here, but our call on the missions team is to be prayer warriors, if you will, for these that have been sent, that the glory of Christ will be known in these different places. And our prayers can make a difference. Wouldn't it be wonderful someday to get to glory? And to meet people there that your prayers that night when God called you and when you were there and you were interceding and you were crying out for that country, that God took that missionary and just enlivened that message that night. And with power it went forth and a soul was reached with the gospel of Christ because we prayed back here. Listen, we're we're on the same team. and, And we're fighting for the same thing. And what is it? For the glory of Christ to be known. We want the world to know his glory. Well, that's going to begin as we labor on our knees. That's where the battle is. It's in prayer for that glory to be known. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your your goodness and for your grace. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the power of that gospel. We're thankful tonight that we in this room have heard that gospel and have received that gospel. But, Lord, we think about a world this evening that lies in darkness. We think about a world this evening the majority has not heard this message. And God, we ask that you would help us as a church to have a greater part in worldwide evangelism and taking the gospel of Jesus Christ out to every creature. I pray, Lord, that this evening we would see in a greater and clearing way, clearer way our call to our part in the ministry of missions to pray. Now, Father, we will take this up this evening and that, Lord, we will come before your throne of grace that your glory be known to all. We thank you this evening for your goodness and grace, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.